0: Today for Spirit in Action, we'll be speaking with a musical duo, Aaron Fowler and Laura Dungan. As activists on the liberal end in Kansas, they do major and important work in their effort to uplift the common folk and care for the wider community. Laura was a founder of Sunflower Community Action and now works for the National Training and Information Center, and Aaron worked for years with Hope Street Youth Development and now does music in a number of venues, including his Stories to Song project, which you can find at singitout.org. Every song they sing comes from a story from their work to improve the world. I interviewed Aaron Fowler and Laura Duncan the beginning of July at Grinnell University in Iowa as part of the annual Quaker Gathering of Friends General Conference. So we had an audience present to share in the spiritual musical witness that Aaron and Laura share. Follow links from my northernspiritradio.org to find out more about them. But right now, let's sit down with Laura Duncan and Aaron Fowler for Spirit in Action. I'd like to start out by introducing folks to both of your backgrounds, Laura and Aaron. You said you met in high school. Has it been a steady flame ever since? I want to get this on the air.
2: Sixteen. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. Yes. 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 <laughs> <laughs> what is that? A steady flame after maybe married thirty years? I <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Were you a musical combo back then? We were. Laura actually introduced me to getting into music at the high school level. I was seeing with a, another guy at that point who taught me how to play guitar. But, and they uh, made
2: a rule that no girls could be in their band.
3: No girls. <laughs> girls just mess yeah. stuff up. <laughs> so, yeah, I have, have done music ever since. And then uh, eventually brought Laura into the, the duo, became a trio, and then the trio became a duo as Steve left and <laughs> Laura stayed. <laughs> so. Got a little crowded.
0: Were you both musical from childhood on? Uh, I mean, I know guitar, mandolin, all these kind of things, uh, singing, choir. What What was your background for both of you?
2: My father and mother were both musicians, so I grew up in a musical family, which actually my dad has a lot of connection in uh, some unusual ways for what I'm doing now. But yeah, I was raised in a... Musical family, violin, piano was my first instrument and I started that when I was about four and then in the third grade, because my dad's a violinist, I picked up violin and then I was cursed by having to read notes on a page and decided to pick up another instrument and intentionally not learn how to play it by reading. So that's this instrument here, the mandolin.
0: And what about activism? Were you activists back in high school or did that come on
3: later? It came on later, much later really, for both of us. I mean, we we're, were into the music scene in high school and and even college for several years of college. Activism came later.
0: Why? Why did activism come along? Was Was it just you didn't have enough to keep you off the street or what?
2: <laughs> for me, I actually was planning to go into music. My major was actually church music in college, and I had an event in my life in high school where my music instructor sexually assaulted me. That created an opening for then a man named Shell Trapp, who was an organizer who was working in social change things. And I was kind of in a place in my life where I didn't like watching people get messed over. So that was sort of my doorway into getting involved in that field. And music always has been along the side of it, but it was not at the forefront. Actually, I'm feeling that music's going to take a different kind of role in this last phase of my life.
0: And Aaron, how did you get interested in activism?
3: Well, it I really was um, through some of our work with the Friends of Jesus community, in which Laura and I were both, both a part of an intentional Quaker community in Wichita. My background is as an educator. Uh, I was teaching middle school music at that point. And when we moved to the inner city of Wichita, I uh, started working with the young people there. It was in that context that watching them in the community and in the neighborhood getting screwed over by police or by school administrators or whatever that began to become active in um, creating a place. For those young people to have a voice for themselves and to be able to create change in those places that uh, were important to them.
0: Could you tell me how, for either or both of you, the religious background, Methodist to Quaker to Quaker, how that went for you and how that dovetailed with your getting increasingly involved in activism?
3: Well, as Laura said, we were both raised United Methodists and came to Friends University. I thought that was
2: a cute name for a school when I heard Friends University. I thought, like, oh, that's kind of a nice name. I had no clue. <laughs> we were recruited for the music department is why we went.
3: And eventually ended up at one of the quicker churches there, an EFI church that was there in Wichita. And EFI means Evangelical Friends International. International? Yeah, that's right. I've, I've, you were part of it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But those, changed
2: names since we... <laughs> yeah, you anyway. used
3: those letters. In that context, then we joined this community called Friends of Jesus. And it was in that container that faith and action really got put together for me.
2: The thread for me was Howard Macy was the Old Testament professor. So that was my in my freshman year. And I read George Fox's journal <clears> at <throat> his encouragement. That was not a part of the Old Testament study. But um, <laughs> I'm reading that going, oh, my gosh. I mean, the, the way the Spirit was being tended to and obeyed, it was something I was really ready to hear at that time. So I went to the phone book, and I'm like, well, we got to go to a Quaker church. I didn't know what to call it. So I'm thumbing through the pages in Northridge. We'd heard students on campus talking about Northridge Friends Church. And so that's where we first ended up going. And then as God continued to work in our life around various, I guess you'd call them issue, issue areas, the first strike came when there was a group of us that felt led to cross the line out at McConnell Air Force Base when they were housing loaded B-1 bombers. And I didn't realize that the Quakers at this church might not think that was a good idea. <laughs> so I went back, and people were raising eyebrows about getting arrested.
3: Your first and, experience of being eldered.
2: Yeah, well, sort of, I guess. <laughs> then I had a very close relationship. I After I graduated from Friends, was the head resident of the women's dorm and had a lot of interaction with students struggling around sexuality issues. So I really started moving in some different directions around that than the Quakers I had around me. So I kind of had my fill of Quakers, the ones that I was hanging out with, because they were certainly not supportive (laughs) of what I was interpreting as God working with me. So I was in my garden for about 11 years, 13 years. And Chuck Fager came to Kansas to cover the Priscilla Dieter's debacle of the evangelical community in Kansas. And he stayed at our community while he was there for about 11 days. And we'd saved up a whole bunch of money to go to Mexico with the kids. And we had some friends that lived down there and were doing some interesting work. The trip fell through and Chuck says, uh, you know, you really ought to go to the gathering." And we were like, The Gathering, he's describing all this great music, and I don't remember what all he said, but we said, we're going to The Gathering. So The Gathering was my annual Quaker connection for eight years, probably. This place kept me alive uh, and connected while we go back to our ministry, which was out in the community, and felt like we were doing an interpretation of what Christ wanted us to do and be in the world and not stuffed up behind four walls and drinking coffee and saying everything's fine on Sunday morning.
0: But I think you're rooted locally now. Yeah, You have yeah. a meeting. What changed? How did that get there?
3: Well, as Laura said, I mean, the gathering here was a huge part for sort of moving. Well, uh, the the church that we were in, because our community came to uh, an understanding of gay and lesbian folks, that God loved gay and lesbian folks, and the church didn't like the fact that we had said that. When we came to the gathering, that was the place was like, this is home.
0: So that led you to leave that church at that
3: point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And eventually then joined an unprogrammed meeting in Wichita, a Heartland Friends meeting, which is where I my membership is at. And I've been there probably six years now, and I'm the, the clerk of the meeting there. And Laura goes to a different meeting.
2: He drops me off on his way.
3: We have any kids at our meeting. And when our youngest son was in high school and very active uh, with the youth group there at uh, University Friends, Laura felt like she wanted to support Scott, and so she I'd show
2: up once or twice and sit in the back, so I could talk to my son about meaningful things at church when he got home.
3: <laughs> so, uh, and she stuck there, and so yeah. yeah. So we attend two different two different meetings. Ours is unprogrammed, and Laura's is a semi-programmed.
2: And then God played a big trick on me, and now I'm the presiding clerk of Great Plains' yearly meeting. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Such a joker, that (laughs) guy.
2: I'll tell you. That's a Bible study we're having this week.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Well, let's talk about your music and your work. How do they fit together? What do you want to start off?
3: Well, my work now, having having left Hope Street a couple years ago, is as a teaching artist And I do a couple different things, but one of the things I'd like to share today is I created a nonprofit called Sing It Out. And it works in rural and small communities in Kansas, right now anyway. And it's connecting young people, middle school students with elders in their community. I'm actually doing this here at the gathering this year with the third, fourth, and fifth graders where we interview an elder in the community that the young people do and then we turn around and we write a song based on their stories and so we have about um, over the last 10 years in Kansas about 65 songs written about elders. And what we do, and you'll be able to experience it this week, is that on Monday, today we interviewed the two classes interviewed. One class interviewed one elder and another class interviewed a second elder. Tomorrow, Wednesday and Thursday we will work at putting the story into song. And then on Friday we will celebrate by having the elders on stage and we'll sing their song and we'll we'll do a little biography about what they shared with us. I like I say in Kansas we've done this and I have about sixty five songs. And it is just a powerful opportunity to watch young people and elders come together and share their lives together. And for me, that's, that's just a, a powerful place where spirit can reside. And, you know, stories of, of young people when they go out and they've never met this, this elder in their community, you know, say, that was pretty cool. And I'm like, wow, a seventh grader that says that was pretty cool to be with an elder. So that's the work that I'm doing now, and it's, it's, it's pretty powerful to watch that.
0: Is your effort at creating peace between the generations, or what are you trying to do by this work? I,
3: I think, for me, it's just creating the venue, creating that space for young and old to get together, because I don't do anything special when I'm there. It's it's creating that space, and then once that space is created, it's just amazing what happens in that space. So yeah, It leaves the world a better place. Absolutely, and it strengthens our rural communities um, in places where young people are ready to get get out and they end up staying because there's a reason to stay in that community because they hear story after story after story about their town. Would you like to share some of those songs or some of that music? That'd be great. That'd be great. This is a song um, written in 2003, one of the first years that uh, that I did this in a small rural community called Glasgow, Kansas. So whenever I go to Glasgow I always just people say, so where are you going next week? And I say, Going to Glasgow, Kansas. This is a s- story inspired by Bill DeMars, who was a first Gulf War veteran.
4: This is my town, down in the valley with its rolling hills and pastures aplenty each time i come home from lands afar she always looks great my solomon valley prairie fields and rolling hills now with the harvest cozy houses that line the countryside. This is my town, in the Solomon Valley. This is my town down in the valley with its rolling hills and pastures and Time I come home from lands afar. She always looks great, my Solomon Valley. Smoke rising from the houses in the winter when it's cold snow covers earth like a quilted blanket this is my town Solomon valley this is my
1: town down in the valley with its
4: rolls. So Valley This is my town down in the valley with its rolling hills, the pastures plenty. Each time I come home lands far. She always looks great, my Solomon valley.
3: So,
0: that was 7th graders that wrote that. How much writing did they do versus how much writing you did?
2: Tell the truth. Um, 60-40? 50-50?
3: They write a lot of it. Um, (laughs) I do the music, and I typically do the chorus that ties the story together. Because what we talk about in the Stories to Songs, which is the project is called Stories to Songs, and you can find out about it at singitout.org is that they tell the story or they retell the story that the elder has told and what my job as as the artist is is to try to figure out what is that theme that holds their story together so i do the music in the course and and then they write the, the story i'd like to hear some more so uh this is this is my favorite one actually because It was written about the principal of the school. It's called Hardwood, and Mr. Lynch, Tom Lynch, was a teacher in the school. He grew up in that community, became a teacher, was the principal, and was also the basketball coach. And so as he's telling his story to the kids, all the kids know him as the basketball coach. And so it became pretty evident that this song was gonna be about basketball. I didn't really know how. Anyway, this is uh, Tom Lynch's song, Hardwood.
4: Up in the morning, half past six, turning on the old gym lights. Players coming in and they're lacing up their shoes. Everything is all right. They always play hard and do their best. They give it all of their might. They never give up. They never give in. They never give up the fight. Hard wood. Life is hard. To their third hour class They're all standing on their feet Mr. Lynch is up front He opens up a book Asks them to take a seat He always demands the best from them Putting them under the heat Classwork, homework He is always asking Do
1: you have it complete the Hardwood
4: Life is hardwood Hardwood Life is hardwood Now it's 3.15 in the afternoon and it's time to sweat again Discipline and steady work, the whistle says begin Working their tails through the bone, they're all taking it on the chin. But they never give up, they never give in. He says the winner doesn't always win. Hard Life is hard Be. He wants them all to succeed. In school and sports, but especially in life, he says, don't ever concede. Stay on the course and fight the fight. Don't ever recede. Don't stop, don't quit, don't give in. Make it your lifelong creed. Hardwood.
1: Life is hardwood.
3: Yeah, but I have to ask you okay. something
0: yes. about this. Yes. You're going to all these schools and you're getting these kids fired up about this stuff. Don't they have any qualms about having a convicted criminal like yourself? I mean, you've got arrested protesting here. Oh, no, her. no,
3: no. That was my wife. Let that's okay. clear. Oh, oh
1: you're her. Uh,
0: that's uh, why my
1: your record. Is clear. In, yeah? Yeah. <laughs>
3: Maybe that's a bad thing, and maybe that's a bad exactly, thing. Yeah, you, know? exactly. you been to
0: jail for justice. Uh, yeah, no. I, I, I had Ann Feeney my guest, who wrote Nice, that song, right? nice. Yeah and you know it's one of those <laughs> tests of manhood you yeah. still can do it yeah. i guess yeah. uh, do they have to pass you under some kind of microscope to see whether you're okay to come into school
3: you, you know i i have no idea i mean i'm a touring artist on the Kansas arts commission touring artist roster so i guess maybe there they think no more that the arts commissioner got uh,
2: Brownback, got rid of that
3: that's for a later conversation uh, i think uh, but um <laughs> uh, no,
0: but, but th- this is relevant i want yeah. to ask about that yeah. because you're in kansas yes. now. Mm. I think, in some ways, some of your thoughts, theology, beliefs, the way you live out the life of Jesus, put you at odds with some of the school system. I mean, don't you have to go in and teach creationism as part of your music? I, I mean, but, really, there what,
3: ain't no uh, monkeys in Kansas, as McCutcheon says. So, that, so uh, that. You know, does that ever? Is there any
0: friction? Is this? Do you put elements into your music or interaction with them that might be considered
3: seditious? Well, my wife would say so, because one of the programs I do is a Pete Seeger Woody Guthrie tune. And we always end with This Land is Your Land, with all of the subversive verses that they never learn. And our, our message really is that this land is your land. And in Wichita, 60% or a good 50 in the schools anyway are immigrant kids and African American kids and kids that oftentimes get the short, short end of the stick. And so...
2: Well, you talk about poverty by talking about hobo culture and jumping trains and anyway.
3: Maybe it is subversive. and It is. They're just not. Do you want to be subversive? Absolutely.
2: <laughs> in Kansas, you kind of have to want to be, I <laughs> think.
0: <You> <laughs> <gotta>. <laughs> yeah. Is it that bad? I mean, I, I don't I
3: don't have a sense. I, we, it's very, very strong Republican. Our governor, our new governor, got rid of the Kansas Arts Commission. The only um,
2: state in the nation.
3: And our Secretary of State? No.
2: Yeah, our secretary of state is the gentleman who ghost wrote the Arizona draconian bill, and is traveling the country helping other states write their copycat bills. So, it's Chris Kobach the- is the name.
3: There's a lot of stuff that's not good, but there is there is a small contingent of progressive folks that are continuing to work. We had a rally in February, I think, as a part of the moveon.org 50-state piece, and we had uh, over Wisconsin. with the Wisconsin yeah. uh, over 1,000 folks in Topeka that, that rallied around that in two days, so that was a great little pull together.
2: Well, I think the, the progressive strand in Kansas is a lot larger than we're aware of. It's just unorganized.
3: That's one of the issues
0: I have with, shall I say, us liberals, is we don't organize because we don't want to be joiners. We don't want to be compromising ourselves, getting in an organization. Mm -hmm. Do you run into that, or maybe that's not what the issue is?
2: We're not so laid back in Kansas. We're kind of the level I, uh, simple talk. Things do tend to drive us more, possibly. I don't find progressives or liberals in the center of the United States quite so relaxed. And I don't know if that's sort of a... Because there's such a strong evangelical thread there, that there is a side. Pick it. What, <laughs> which side are you on? So I think progressivism might have a little different feeling there. I don't know. It's, it feels different than when I go other places.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Give us one more song, Aaron, and then maybe we'll let Laura take center stage for a bit here. <laughs>
3: Evelyn Williamson. in 2005 um, was one of our elders that was interviewed and she was also you'll hear in the story uh, the cook at the school but she was really known even more than being the cook of the school Um, she had 17 children and that always sort of amazes kids (laughs) Uh, kids. Uh, and so this is uh, Evelyn Williamson's story and uh, I think it's one of those songs that really goes beyond Evelyn Williamson. So.
1: She's
4: lived in our town all of her life, a childhood without any strife, daily chores throughout her life in 1940. Came a wife, and the chores of a mother are never done. They're up in the morning before the sun, with laundry to wash, and owls to feed. She tends to the children who are in need. It started with Mary To the bus stop Oh, no one could tarry Helping each other Always caring Not a day goes by When a mother's not weary And the chores of a mother Are never done She's up in the morning With laundry to wash and mouths to feed She tends to the children who are in need All of her children were raised on the farm Without all the lights and the big city charms Tender the animals with a strong arm. She'd pray each day that they come to no harm. Because the chores of a mother are never done. She's up in the morning before the sun. With laundry to wash, house to feed, she tends the children who are in need. There at the school, she would cook for the kids. Pots and pans, there were dishes and lids. Now she's retiring, so they're putting out bids. But still, she cooks for her own grown-up. Because the chores of a mother are never done. They're all up in the morning before the sun. The laundry to wash, mouths to feed. They tend to the children who are in need. But the chores of a mother are never done. They're all in the morning before the sun, there's laundry to wash and owls to feed. They tend to the children who are in need. The chores of a mother are never done.
0: It's quite a feminist ballad.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I always like to couple it with another song so we don't get You, you wrong, do? <laughs> you do? Oh, yeah.
0: I mean, I, I'm kind of wondering if they, the kids, uh, you're talking about small town, right? Yeah. And feminism might be a kind of a stretch for them or not in Kansas?
3: Yeah, but strong women are not a stretch for them. Well, all they have to do is look to their mothers and their grandmothers, and they know who's in charge.
1: So,
0: uh. <laughs> well, Laura, uh, yeah. you have been organizing communities to make a big difference in the world.
2: For a little one.
0: A little ones, yeah. How long have you been doing this? What's the organization called? Tell us a little bit about that.
2: I've been in the field of community organizing for 20 years and I founded an organization in Kansas and was the director there for 18 years and we did everything from potholes, street signs, to subprime lending, we were going after those guys long before it became a crisis. We were able to get a $7.1 million settlement with Conseco Finance, and that was back in early 2000s. Immigration, that was probably the most exciting part of the work for me, what was happening in Kansas and huge influx of workers. And then three years ago, I made a transition and worked for the same national entity that Sunflower Community Action was affiliated with. And I came in as their training director and then had a shift this last year over into their consulting area to develop that program. So we have a team of consultants that work with local organizations around grassroots fundraising, board development, staff training, director training, that kind of stuff. That's what I'm doing now.
0: Give me some idea of the local color of what this is. You, know, you talk about potholes or immigrants those are just names on paper to many of us who are mm-hmm. not dealing with the issues. But I think you must see up front differences being made. Can you talk about people? or what? what are you just organizing the organizers? Do you see the end product these days? Mm-hmm.
2: Oh, yeah. Um, it is, though, in terms of the body of the work. It's like working the next ring out so that organizations are strong to create the space for local leadership. It really is all built around the empowerment and creating the space for people in their communities to learn how to lead. And that means throwing people in the deep end. A lot of times they're in the middle of crisis and figuring out how to get them out of crisis mode and into collective action mode. One of my favorite stories at Sunflower is Ms. Perry lived next door to a house that was abandoned. And from basement to attic, it was stuffed with just junks, garbage, trash, items. You, you open the door so when the, the dude that owned it couldn't get any more in the house, he started stacking it outside the house and the garage. And it was just this huge mound. And Miss Perry called the city, the health department, the police department, the news, I mean, everything she could do as an individual. So when we went in, we got all the neighbors together, invited the health department to come out to the meeting. They agreed to come. They didn't show. The neighbors went to the health department in mass. I think it was about 20 of them, the next day and waited until the head of the department came out. Anyway, needless to say, it took over a year to get that trash heap finally down because the city manager put up all kinds of roadblocks to allowing it to come down, believe it or not. Why? Private property, you know. There's certain things that private owners have and you just don't want to intrude upon those places. So you have to get things declared a state of emergency. So that took a little time to get the state of emergency. But we all went to the city manager's house together and in a week the state of emergency got (laughs) put into play. It was a state of emergency. Yeah.
0: Were you camped out around his house? What were you doing? Yeah, no, we just
2: went out and knocked on the door. The group went to the door and Ms. Perry was in the leadership team and she got to knock on the door and got to talk to his wife. It's really I I love the opportunity to move we sit and wring our hands about problems and slow action and once we made that move to move the neighborhood into his neighborhood, which it was all African American, that got things moving very quickly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so part of the issue is he doesn't want to have to deal with I guess I don't want to oversimplify him, but the Afro-American contingent, their voice wasn't as strong. I I don't know how racism does or doesn't exist in your town.
2: Yeah, I think it's pretty, the way racism plays out in urban centers is very common in Wichita to other parts of the country. Mm
0: -hmm. So, yeah. We don't have to worry about them. That's their problem.
2: Yep. Yep.
0: So. You travel around training other folks now. You're not just limited to Wichita anymore no, now. So
2: I office in Wichita and then I'm on the road every month. Usually, well, last month I was nice. I didn't go anywhere. You got to stay month. home. Yeah. I got well, home.
3: but the month before she was gone 20 or 30 days. So there's there's a balance here, you know. So. <laughs>
2: well, that's unusual. That's unusual.
0: I thought that the chores of a woman are never done. I mean, this <laughs> <it was crazy. laughs> You don't get to do it quite as much music I think as your husband does, right? So I mean, no. you know, do you perform with Aaron sometimes? Or some. Has-
2: I get to I get to do that. We actually have done a little more recently, which I am very grateful for, and we're hoping to do more of that.
0: Hmm. Um, so I think you'd like to share some music today yeah. too?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kansas has some particular genealogy for me, some family roots that connected to what I've decided is my call. And um, I'd like to do this first song by Greg Artzer, and I'll make the connection with the song when we get done.
4: When the great war was over, we came back again to the land of the childhood, the land you knew there wide open spaces swallow and hawk great prairie grassland rounder the red rock in the great state of kansas on the western flatland, where you could work with the farmer or as a dusty ranch hand it was there that you had the sweet dream of your
1: life the girl of your fancy Said that she'd be
4: your wife. I'm a seed of the prairie, watered by the storm, blue stem reaching for the sky. And the song of a metal mine carried on the wind. I hear voices of days gone by. So you were married, in springs filled with storms County, With East to Lynn County, her papa's farm Time for the planting on Sugar Creek Shore You'd start life together and forget the Great War But just a few short weeks later, came another great flood Creek overflowing with timber and mud, with no boat to cross over. We'll swim across now, see if that cornfield is ready to plow.
5: And am seed on, on the, the prairie, watered water by the storm, the storm. loose timber reaching for the sky.
4: And the salt of the barrel. La- Carried on the wind, I hear voices a days long gone by. Well, it wasn't till midnight that men from the town With fair boats and drag lines found where you'd gone down In a peaceful green valley and the gentle spring breeze They laid you to rest under a cottonwood tree. Now sixty long years have gone by since you died, and the grandson you never knew stands by your side. Of this great and green valley, neath the cottonwood tree, I'm hearing your voice on the gentle spring breeze. Cause I'm a seed on a very
5: reaching for the sky, and the song of the
4: middle line carried on the wind. I hear voices of days long gone by. I'm a seed on the
5: prairie, watered by the storm. Blue still reaching for.
2: The time frame is not correct but Lynn County was where I discovered a relative of mine about 10 years ago great-aunt Ida Dungan B. Loof. She was born there about 30 years after John Brown and the massacre that happened in that county right along, it's right along the Missouri-Kansas border. So Kansas became a state 150 years ago, and Lynn County was the site of a lot of turmoil. I understand that John Brown actually led a successful underground railroad excursion from Kansas that went up and ended in Iowa, But I'm not, do you know where that is, Bill? Okay, all right, we're connected. Mm
1: -hmm. We are connected.
2: Which I'd like to share this next song, and then I'll say maybe a little bit more about Aunt Ida. Uh,
0: Let me just mention that last song. Greg Artsner is the man who wrote it. He and his partner Terry Mm -hmm. are together, they're called Magpie. And if you come to nortonspiritradio.org, you'll hear my interviews with both of them over the past year. I've, you can always just come to the site and listen to all of our programs for the last six years.
3: Greg and Terry are great, a great duo, a married couple, and have been doing this a long time. So they're, uh, they're wonderful, wonderful.
0: If you just tuned in, you're listening to Spirit in Action. My guests today are Laura Duncan and Aaron Fowler. They do a lot of work, and they do music together when the world is lucky. They're great music leaders and sharers. And, Laura, you were talking a bit about more of your connection with music, your connection with Kansas, your connection with your work. You have some more, I think, to share.
2: Yeah.
0: Tell me what it is.
2: Well, let's just do it through this song. How about
5: One night I dreamed I was in slavery About 1850 was the chime, sorrow was the only sign, nothing around to weeps my mind. Out of the night appeared a lady leading a distant pilgrim
2: Kansas, but the struggle that we had in that state during that time and my great aunt Ida being born there, she lived the most active part of her life around the turn of the 1900s. She ran a 40 room boarding house and I didn't find out about her till about 10 years ago. I was curious because I heard a relative say she ran for governor for the state of Kansas. I was like really? One of my relatives did that. And she actually ran three different times on the socialist ticket Kansas and so that curiosity led me to some more family stories and this one was the one that made me kind of come up off the couch was she got together her husband and three of their black friends went to the Miller Theater which was one of the most prestigious theaters in Wichita at that time and they just walked past the person taking tickets bought the tickets and they just walked in and sat down of course you weren't supposed to do that police finally came, and she happened to be sitting on the the aisle seat, and uh, the officer took her arm, and she had a really severe case of palsy, the way the story goes, and she held it out and said something like, you wouldn't hurt a poor old woman, would you? And he just walked off, he couldn't, (laughs) he couldn't (laughs) deal with this old lady with palsy. So, when I found out about her, I was just pretty amazed that I had some kind of crazy connection with somebody that was choosing to do some things a little bit differently. Uh, in my context and in my family, it's a little different than my family, which sort of fast forwards to the work that we're doing now. Uh, One of the things that she said, her son told me, who just died actually, he was a member of Berkeley meeting. She was not Quaker, but three of her children became Quakers. So that was fun to find out too. But her youngest son, Robert Bluth, he was a member of Berkeley monthly meeting, said that she... Didn't regret anything she did. They filed a lawsuit after their little activism, their little act in the theater. Uh, But people were still seated up in the balcony unless people were very forcefully insisting upon their rights to sit on the floor. So she was pretty excited when Martin Luther King Jr. rolled around. And then she died right about at the beginning of when things started to take off. That people, unless they demand and claim their own fight, their own... Victories, uh, they won't internalize that and they won't claim it, they won't own it. So she really felt that the empowerment of people was pretty important. So,
0: you know, a little bit of history, maybe you can refresh me on kansas was one of those swing states is it going to be a slave state or non-slave state mm-hmm. and my understanding was that part of the thing with john brown there there are people from missouri coming over to try and drive out the people who are trying to keep kansas from being a slave state is mm-hmm. that right yeah
2: that was crazy stuff Ruffians and
0: the free staters and in the end what happened yeah. kansas free state, free state.
2: yeah we were on the right side of that
0: question well keep free Kansas <laughs> keep, keep free Kansas exactly <laughs> exactly I think we have time for one more song if you okay. got one you want to share right. what do you think Laura
3: yeah. this is a uh, <laughs> Pat Humphreys tune have you ever interviewed Pat Humphreys yet
2: well, she was here at the gathering wasn't she Pat a couple uh, years ago Pat she, she was here at the, had
1: the had
3: had gathering
0: yeah. a so so Go to nortonspiritradio.org. There you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just two weeks ago, two weeks ago, I interviewed Pat, oh, okay. and uh, in another week or two, I'll be speaking with both her and Sandy. Oh. Okay. So uh, there'll be a Spirit in Action program. Well, they
3: probably did the song then, maybe on theirs, and if they did, you can edit this out. So. No, I want to hear your version.
4: <laughs> From Montgomery and Selma. Streets of Birmingham, the people send a message to the leaders of this land.
5: We have fought, we have suffered, and we know the wrong from right. We are family, we are neighbors,
1: we are black and brown
5: and white. Here I go, bound for freedom. That my truth take the lead. Not the preacher, not the congress, not the millionaire, but me. I will organize for justice. I will raise my voice in song. And our children will be free to lead the world and carry on. Expose evil show From the courtroom To the boardroom In the television's glare How the greedy Live off foreign and hungry People everywhere Here I go Bound for freedom Let my should take the lead Not the preacher Not the congress Not the millionaire but me I will organize For justice. I will raise my voice in song and our children will be freely thoroughly carried on here I go though I'm standing on my own I remember those before me
4: and I know
5: I'm not alone I will organize the justice I will raise my voice in song and our children will be Across the ocean and beyond The people of all nations Create a common bond With our conscience as our weapon We are witness to the fall We are simple, we are brilliant We are one and we are all Here I call about the freedom Am I to Take the lead, not the preacher not the congress not the millionaire but me i will organize the justice i will raise my I will organize the justice, I will raise my voice to and our children will be freely the world and carry on behind. We will raise our voice in song, and our children will be free.
0: incredible song and incredible singers here yes. too today thank you. thank you so much for sharing here today well, and go forth and do more good work our prayers are with thank you you, thank you as you work to make a real change in the world in kansas a place that really can use your energy i'm so thankful that you're there and that you were here today thank,
3: thank you thank you
0: You were sitting in on a visit with Laura Dungan and Aaron Fowler, activists and musicians, in early July at the Friends General Conference Gathering at Grinnell University. Follow links from Northern Spirit Radio to learn more about any of the above, and we'll see you next week for Spirit in Action. The theme music for this program is Turning of the World, performed by Sarah Thompson. This Spirit in Action program is an effort of Northern Spirit Radio.
1: Amém